With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today I am joined by JT Olson from Bucks Report. If you do not follow JT on Twitter, you can find him at Icewater Olson, and that is also with an O. And you can find Bucks Report at Bucks underscore report. Thanks for coming back, man. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here, talk some football, talk some draft with you. And we were we were planning to devote this whole episode to the draft, and then disaster struck, which sucks. Um, Juwan James got hurt, and as we record this, Juwan James got hurt, I think, less than 12 hours ago. Uh, towards Achilles, the big thing for him, and this will be a big talking point today, I'm sure, um, so you guys will probably already know about this, but because he got hurt away from the Broncos headquarters, the Broncos can actually go after his money. Um, I expect them to do so. I know it's kind of cold hearted, but the thing is he got hurt away from the, the, the Broncos were kind of stuck with Juwan James anyway, because he opted out last year, his contract told forward, which meant the cap hit was so big that they couldn't cut him before this year. I expect, I think they would have, if they could have now they can. Um, I think his career with the Broncos is over. I, it's unfortunate for him. I'm not trying. I'm not rooting for this. I'm just. This is what looks like is what's going to happen. Um, the Broncos will get ten million dollars back, and James will probably. I mean, his the Broncos career is over. It remains to be seen if his NFL career is over because he hasn't played. He's played sixty five snaps since two thousand nineteen. Um, granted one of those is an opt out and he was a quite a good player. Like he signed a four year, $51 million contract at one point. So I would assume like somebody might take a chance on him once he's recovered, but we'll see. Uh, I mean, I think he was a good player when Denver signed him. I thought that was a decent enough signing, although, you know, maybe a little bit more money than probably ideal in my world, but I mean, this is one of those hindsight 2020 things. Yeah. It just hasn't worked out in Denver. Yeah, same. I, I mean, I wrote a whole gift horse piece. Like, I did a film breakdown of him when the Broncos signed him. I was really excited because the idea of him working with Munchak, he was very athletic, very good on the second level, uh, decent run blocker, very good in outside zone, which is interesting now that the Broncos have moved away from a lot of that. But but he made sense at the time. It just it didn't work out. It's unfortunate, um, but that's kind of how it goes. Um, the NFL's like that. Uh, the big thing moving forward for me is the fact that what do the Broncos do now? And again, as you guys are listening to this, there is a possibility the Broncos sign a, a veteran tackle today. So I'm recording this before that. Before, like we're not we're recording this in the morning. So again, if that happens, that happens. I, but I still think we need to go over this a little bit because. Because the Broncos are in a situation right now where if they didn't sign somebody, they're in, they're in trouble. Um, the the options that they had behind Juwan James on the depth chart were Calvin Anderson. And I did a film breakdown of his Raiders game last night. I was watching it. It's as rough as I remember it being. Like, he was abysmal. Like, he, he has some promising reps. I like his kick slide. I think his feet, feet are really good. His footwork's good. He gets bull rushed really easily. He needs to improve his grip strength. He can be overpowered. Uh, people can beat him with their hands. Um, they'll swipe his hands or they'll pin his arm. Uh, I still have to go over his left tackle tape against the Carolina Panthers. I know that game was better. But also, I watched the first 10 snaps of it, and the Broncos were running quite a bit of 12 personnel, more than I remember. So, again, I have to go over that. I don't think he's going to be the starter, so I don't think it'll be a huge deal either way. But that is something to keep in mind. Um, the other two options on the roster, Quinn Bailey, who as best I can tell is completely really unproven. And then drew Himmelman and drew Himmelman's kind of the, 
he's worth noting just because he was a free agent signing after the draft anyway. Broncos paid him a $25,000 signing bonus, which is quite a bit. 125000 of his salary is guaranteed. Um, I still expect him to be a project, though. He came from Illinois State. Um, he did play in the Redbirds spring games, which is cool. Um, he chose the Broncos over the Ravens and the Giants. He's six foot nine. Like he's he's a tall guy. And normally tackles that are this tall fail in the NFL because they can't get leverage. They lose the leverage battle. But Mike Munchak did take Villanueva and turn him into a pro bowler. So down the road, this might be a great move. I don't think he's gonna be the answer in 2021. Now, let me put you on the spot a little bit. Um, because this is something I've seen kicked around, you know, out on the on the web and the Twitters. What do you think of the idea of moving Dalton Risner out to right tackle, since that's where he played in college? I know it's a little bit of robbing Peter to pay Paul there, but I hate it. Um, I know it's been kicked around, uh, and I know he has experience doing it. I think in a pinch, like if the, like let's say Juwan James was the only option this year, and he got hurt the first game, I think that's what they would have done to survive the game. But the problem is Dalton Reisner, and again, I love Dalton Reisner. He's my favorite guard in football. His his feet are going to be a problem against edge rushers in space. Uh, we've seen it before when when people move edge rushers inside to rush against him and give to give the edge rusher a two way go. Um, Zadarius Smith did this a couple years ago with the Packers. The Packers abused Reisner with that. Uh, the Broncos had problems with Shaq Lawson, similar reason, um, in the Buffalo game two years ago. And then last year, he had problems with Bud Dupree when they were looping him back inside for similar reasons. The The quickness is just a problem. And if you're playing on right tackle, granted, the Broncos could protect him. That's what they would do if they have Calvin Anderson there anyway. They'll, they'll have a tight end there, and they'll try and chip as much as they can, or they'll keep a back end more. But there are sets where you're not going to be able to do that. You're going to send everybody out into a route. And that's where Calvin Anderson's struggles really showed up on tape against the Raiders is when the Broncos were in like third and six, they'd send everybody into the route or they'd chip with the tight end and send them out. And all of a sudden Anderson's getting bull rushed into Drew Locke. And that, and I don't think Dalton Reisner would get bull rushed. So I think it would be better. Like if that's what they do, it'll be probably a little bit of an upgrade over Anderson. But as you said, it's, it's going to weaken the left guard spot. And it's not like Dalton Reisner is going to be a good right tackle. He'll be an adequate right tackle you can survive. And I think that's kind of a waste of his talents, personally. So what I'm hearing is there are no real good options on the team. All right now. And that's, and again, by the time you guys listen to this, the Broncos may have made a move or we'll have more clarity. But I went and looked at every right tackle option that kind of made sense for the Broncos based on like fit and what I've heard. Um, the one that makes the most sense is Demar Dotson. The Broncos signed him last year. He's a former Bucks, so you're familiar with him. Personally, it's kind of sad that he left the Bucks, and the year he left the Bucks, y'all won a Super Bowl. But, <laughs> but that's you know yeah, neither here nor there. That's you know there's a little bit of a correlation there. You know we get a good offensive line, we win more games. Well, and you guys replace him with Tristan Wirfs, which brings me to a point we'll get to in a second. But but I like Demar Dotson. I thought he was the Broncos' best option at right tackle last year when they didn't have Juwan James at all. Um, another option that makes sense is Dennis Kelly. He played for the the Eagles and the Titans last year. He actually started all sixteen games for the first time in his career. He replaced Isaiah Wilson, who was a bust. Uh, Cameron Fleming was a bad, uh, like a bad right tackle who's played quite a bit. Marshall Newhouse was on the Titans practice squad last year. He only played in four games, but he might be a fit. Ricky Wagner played nine games for the, the Packers last year. Marcus Gilbert retired, so I don't think he's an option, but I got to throw him out there just because he did play for Munchak with the Steelers for a long time. Munchak basically made his career at the beginning of it, so they might be able to talk him out of retirement. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz is a popular name, and I totally understand it. I love Mitchell Schwartz. He had a serious back injury last year, though, so it's it's a huge question mark. Like That's why the Chiefs cut it. So it remains to be seen if that's really an option to start week one is the problem. Um, he may very well make sense term, in terms of like sign him, trade for Aaron Rodgers again, which we'll get to, and then he's ready for the playoffs. But I, but I don't know necessarily if he's like the, the week one answer. The, the two names that make a lot of sense are Charles Leno and Bobby Massey. Both are former Bears. One was a left tackle, one was a right tackle. 
Leno is the better player, but he's a career left tackle. He's never played on the right side, as best I can tell from what I've looked at. I would if he if he if you think he can do it, it makes sense, especially because Fangio is familiar with him. But it might be weakening your run game a decent bit. I know he has problems with length. I mean, just looking at this list that you've got up here, the name that jumps out is obviously Mitchell Schwartz because he's the best player. Definitely. Like you said, there are health questions there. And to me, it doesn't necessarily matter if he's ready for week one. You know, you can you can play one of those reserve guys you talked about, kind of piece it together in the first month, really. Like, that doesn't matter to me. In my view, this is a long-term season-long projection because, in my mind, this team has playoff aspirations. So if you get, get him down the stretch – even the second half of the season for that playoff run, that's the guy you want to go with because he's going to give you the best chance to win. Mm-hmm. Well, and that that kind of is a good way to pivot to where I really wanted to go with all this anyway. The Broncos did nothing at tackle in the draft. And and the big thing for me, and again, I don't want to beat a dead horse at this point. We're on, like By the time you guys listen to this, it's Thursday. You guys have heard, probably heard a lot of this before. I've said said this on Twitter a few times. But it can't be stressed enough how crazy it is that the Broncos have not taken a tackle since 2017. Like, this is a league where tackle is one of the three, four most important positions on the field. Like, at, at any down. So the fact that they don't, they they haven't invested in that position at all with veteran or uh, with rookie depth is is kind of crazy. And Aiden was asked about it after the draft, and I and I think we need to bring this up because he did explain it. Um, and Peyton said, and I quote, we targeted a few that were taken right before we took them. It just didn't fall our way. We still feel good about our depth. We continue to, we'll continue to look on the market, the free agent market. I think we're signing five offensive linemen during college free agency. Sometimes it just doesn't fall. We had a tackle we liked, but he was taken right before. That's just the way the draft goes. First of all, this was before the Juwan James injury. So like that, that quote makes, it was right after the draft, but I went and looked because like when he said that a tackle was taken right before us, here's the thing. The Broncos had a chance at every single tackle in the draft, except for Panay Sewell. So I understand that he was taken right before you, but at some point it kind of gets to like, Hey, we need a tackle. You should probably take him. And when you look at the things that the Broncos did in the draft, it, it makes even less sense. So going into the draft, we know because of Michael Silver's report, that the Broncos had preliminary offers on the table from the Eagles who were picking at 12, the Vikings at 14, the Bears at 20, and the Saints at 28. If you assume that the Broncos had some of these offers on the table, when they got to nine, and I assume that the Broncos actually did have some interest from the Eagles because the Eagles wanted Devonta Smith, and there was reports that the Giants might want to take him, they also were interested in Patrick Sertan. I've heard that a few times. The Broncos could have definitely traded back. If the Broncos could have traded back with them, they could have gotten Rashawn Slater. They also would have had picks. And again, I like Patrick Sertan. I'm not trying to hate on Patrick Sertan, the player, but I'm saying the process is, is worth exploring. In the second round, the Broncos decided to trade up for Javante Williams. And again, I love Javante Williams. But instead of, instead of taking... Tevin Jenkins. They could have had him at, at 35. If they wouldn't have traded up and they stayed at 40, they could have had Liam Eikenberg, Walker Little, Sam Cosme, or Dylan Radins. In the third round, the Broncos picked at 71 originally. Brady Christensen from BYU went at 70. Jalen Mayfield went 68. After those two moves, the Broncos traded back. So I do kind of wonder if that's the, the, the tackle that was taken right before them. Because Christensen is seen as a tackle or possibly a guard. But if the Broncos saw him as a tackle, he got taken at 70. That might have been the move that spurred, hey, let's get out of 71. Um, but when George Payton traded down, he traded down twice. And doing so meant that he moved behind the Bills at 93. That's where Spencer Brown went. And I like Spencer Brown a lot. Um, and then because the Broncos gave up a fourth-round pick to move up in the second round, they didn't have a, a pick in the fourth round. They lost out on the chance to draft Dan Moore, Josh Ball, Deontay Smith. I'm totally fine with passing on Josh Ball. We don't have to get into that too much, but I I, I wanted nothing to do with him. I liked it, Deontay Smith, though. I was intrigued by him. I thought his tools with Mike Munchak could have made sense. Again, would have still made an issue this year 
because I don't think he's ready to play this year, but it would have given them a long-term option. Right now, it doesn't look like they necessarily have one unless Himmelman could play. Uh, and then the the last one I really want to go over. Um, in the fifth round, the Broncos take took they took Caden Stearns over Jalen Moore, Brennan Yames, and Tommy Doyle. The Broncos also had multiple, multiple chances to take Stone Forsyth. He went to the Seattle Seahawks in the sixth round. Um, and, and again, I might be very wrong on the evaluation with him, but based on everything I've studied with him, and then based on like Brandon Thorne, and I and I trust Brandon Thorne pretty like without a lot of doubt, honestly. He knows his he knows his shit. He had him as a second round player. I thought in the third round he made a ton of sense. And again, I, I like the players the Broncos drafted. But you can't tell me that they didn't have a chance at a tackle. They had a chance at a lot of tackles. And this is the same thing last year. So this is two drafts back-to-back -back where the Broncos entered a historically loaded tackle draft and didn't come out of it with a tackle. Yeah, and you mentioned so many good names there. I mean, yes, they didn't have a chance at Penny Sewell, but no one ever expected you to. Yep. You know, if Cincinnati didn't take him, then Miami might have taken him, then Detroit might have taken him, then Carolina was probably going to take him. There was no world where the Broncos expected to get Penny Sewell. So you mentioned a guy like Tevin Jenkins you could have had in the second round, but you went with a running back. And, you know, it's a good running back, but... Still running you know, back. It's a running back, and you could invest that in an offensive lineman who can also improve your running game because Jenkins is an excellent run blocker. And I'm glad you say that because this is the thing. And again, this is like a process over results thing. If you want to improve your running game, the last thing that helps you improve your running game is typically the running back. Like, you need a, a decent passing attack so they can't load the box. And then you need a good offensive line to clear the way. And then you need a back who can capitalize. The Broncos took the the the, ho the wagon before the horse in this situation. And again, yeah, I, mean, I like Pookie. I'm not trying to hate on the, like, on the player. I just question the process. And these are all players that I had studied fairly in-depth because these are positions the Bucks had considered, you know, Pass rusher was the top of the list, but, you know, there was also a need at running back. We wanted to improve our offensive line depth. So, you know, there were scenarios when I'd done various mock drafts where my top edge rushers were off the board and I had to go in a different direction. I was taking guys like Jenkins if he was there, Eichenberg you mentioned, Sam Cosme. You know, these are guys I all took before guys like Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, who went ahead of Williams. So in my mind, in such a good tackle class, you want to get that guy because even without this injury, you knew that William, uh, John William was John, John James. Williams well, and that's the thing. Well, and that's, well, and that's the biggest issue I have with it is the fact that like, even if John James hadn't gotten hurt right now, you have 65 snaps of him since 2019. Like the fact you're just counting on him that blindly is kind of a scary, like it's again, it makes me question Peyton's process. And, and I'm not saying I hate him. I'm not trying to be that guy. But, like, that's putting a lot of faith in an unknown. And I and I just question that because I would not do that. I, I Yes, I would have faith that he can play this year, but I would hedge my bets. And I would prioritize hedging my bets. And he didn't. And even if he, you know, were to play this year, who's going to play there next year? And you've got one of the great offensive line coaches not only in the game right now, but that I can ever remember. I mean, he's top five that I've ever seen. And, and they're not investing in the position. Him, yeah, if you get him that toolsy developmental tackle, like a guy you mentioned in day three, Tommy Doyle, if you can get him that guy to work with, a guy who's 6'8", 320, and moves really well, that's going to turn out well for you a lot of times. I don't understand, like you said, the process of not even addressing it. I think is flawed. And I think that's what separates good teams from great teams, building that depth and having that kind of one eye on the now, one eye on the future. And this is, you know, one of those things that's going to hurt Denver, who I projected as a playoff team this year. This is the kind of thing that can take them out of that playoff conversation, losing key players and having no one to replace them. Yep. And that's, again, I'm, I, I, I'm, I think they're lucky that this year's free agent tackle class is better than last year's. Um, granted, again, I, I was not unhappy with DeMar Dotson, but DeMar Dotson was kind of the best of a bad group last year when the Broncos ended up needing him. 
this year at least, first of all, Juwan James got hurt very early, so they have the whole offseason to try and plan around it. So that helps. But it's still, it's just, it's it's a baffling decision. And more than just, and again, the Justin Fields thing, I, and you and I, have, I, you and I have talked a little bit about this. I'm not trying to hate on Peyton for not taking the player I like, although I believe in Justin Fields, and I think he's going to be a Pro Bowl passer. I think the Bears got their franchise quarterback. But if George Payton didn't believe in him, he should have used him as trade bait to grab assets and then grab the other needs around him. And tackle was one of them. And again, I get that Patrick Sertan is good. If Patrick Sertan hits his ceiling, he's a Hall of Fame corner. But you still have a need at right tackle because you didn't take one. Um, and that's what we I kind of come back to. As you look at the Broncos draft, they took Patrick Sertan at nine. They traded up for Devontae Williams. They took Quinn Miners, who's a center, or who's going to be a center or guard, probably a center, because I think he's going to take uh, Lloyd Cushenberry's job. Baron Browning, who I love, he's a linebacker. And again, I like that trade down in the third round. Like, I'm not trying to hate on that. Caden Stearns in the fifth round, Jamar Johnson, Seth Williams, who's a receiver. Harry Vincent, who's a defensive back. He can play corner, nickel, or safety. We're going to see. He's a late pick, so we'll see. Jonathan Cooper and Marquis Spencer, both defensive linemen. What kind of stands out to you about those picks first, kind of before I move? Um, I mean, nothing – none of these guys really move the needle for me. Uh, I think there are some tools there. Uh, I think those can all be guys who make the roster and play a special teams role. There's some versatility. There's some athleticism. So those aren't picks that I'm – I think, oh, that's a bad pick. But they're not picks where I think, man, you got really good value here. This was a guy who's going to have a significant impact on your franchise. And that's outside of Sertan, I one Browning, because those are the two picks I love the most. That was kind of a question I have, is they took a lot of not valuable positions. And again, I'm not trying to hate on the players. I think each of the players have, like, they all made sense. But the Broncos had bigger needs than center and running back. And so you you kind of look at what the Broncos could have done. And, and again, this is all a hypothetical situation, but the Broncos could have taken Justin Fields at nine. The Bears traded up to, to get him. They could have taken Liam Eikenberg, or Liam Eikenberg at 40. The He went to the Dolphins at 42. Then they could have taken Quinn Miners, Baron Browning, Jabril Cox, because they would have had a fourth-round pick. He went to Dallas at 115. The Broncos would have picked at 114 if they hadn't given that pick away. And then they would have had the same draft after that. Again, they would have left the draft with a need of running back, but here's the thing. And again, I love Pookie. Running back is easy to find. You can find backup running backs. Yeah, and let me clarify. Those first four picks, I really like. You know, those those are guys who I think will have an impact. I liked Miners a lot. I like I like Baron Browning. I like Williams. And I think Zertan's going to be really good. But... Like you said, positional value with a running back. You know, one of those kind of day three guys who doesn't really move the needle, that could be a, a quality depth running back because Williams, he's not even going to be your starter this year, is he? No, unless they cut Melvin Gordon. And that's the other which, thing. Oh, good. I was going to say, which I wouldn't expect. No, I don't either at this point. The only reason I would think that the Broncos are going to try and cut Melvin Gordon is if he ends up receiving discipline from the league as part of his uh, arrest last year. He got arrested for a DUI. He ended up beating the DUI. Um, the league still may suspend him. If the league suspends him for any games or any discipline, the Broncos can actually go after his contract. And if that happens, I expect them to do so. That's what Mike Kliss reported. So I think that would happen. I don't know if he'll receive discipline from the league at this point. Um, but no, Kylan Hill. Um, and again, I, I know I understand the Broncos don't necessarily see all the players the same way I do. I'm not trying to be like, my guys are the best. But I'm just saying, I thought Kylan Hill was a starting caliber running back down the road. And he went late, like very late. And granted, part of that was character stuff because the Mississippi State coaches dogged him based on what I've heard. But but again, it, it brings me back to, and again, I love Javante Williams. I think he, he was my best running back in this class. So I loved the player. But the Broncos prioritized taking a backup running back over taking a tackle. And that, that is, it's hard to justify. It's again. So that's like a big thing. But that said, I, I do like the Broncos draft class. And I, and again, I want to talk about that a little bit. 
you like Quinn Miners. I'm actually not super familiar with him. Um, I, I'm familiar with him, but I haven't studied him. I didn't have Wisconsin Whitewater tape. Uh, I, I've you've seen the off field stuff, like the pushing the logs. I knew about all that stuff beforehand because he's been on Twitter for a minute. I follow Owen Reese. Owen Reese uh, actually coached him and is a huge Quinn Miners fan, obviously. Uh, so I knew of him, but again, I didn't realize that the Broncos had so little faith in Lloyd Cushenberry. So I didn't pay a lot of attention to the center prospects in this draft. Yeah, Lloyd Cushenberry is a guy who never moved the needle for me. I, he had those really good measurables last year coming out of LSU who won a national championship. But he was, not, I didn't think he was the best interior offensive lineman on that Tigers team. A lot of people in the draft Twitter world really high on Cushenberry, but he was never one that I really saw it with. Miners is a guy I like more. And I don't know if they'll be able to start right away coming from such a low-level program. Uh, a very good low-level program, but just the difference in power and speed you're going to see down to down is drastic. But I think he could start for the Broncos by the end of the year, and I think he could be a really nice player there. Well, and it's worth mentioning, too, that the Broncos last year in the draft, they actually fell back onto Lloyd Cushenberry. They wanted Matt Hennessy, uh, who the Falcons got ahead of them and grabbed. And the Broncos actually were trying to get ahead of the Falcons to get him. They just couldn't do it. And then they took Lloyd Cushenberry. Um, and again, I don't hate Lloyd Cushenberry. I was really, I liked him a lot. I went back and forth between him and Hennessy last year, but he, he struggled in his rookie season. Like there's no way around that. And again, yes, he improved on the stretch as you would expect rookies to do. But when you're the worst center in football, God, I hope you improve. Like, and he was, and I'm, and I'm not trying to hate on him. But he was. He was the worst center in football for a big chunk of the year. Like you and I have talked about the Bucks game a number of times. He was abused. And the thing is, in the early part of the year, probably the first eight games or so, he was so bad that he was making the guards look bad. At one point, the Broncos Broncos fans were saying that the offensive line was garbage. And it was like, it's not that the Broncos offensive line is garbage. It's that the center is struggling and they don't have a right tackle. Yeah, one bad offensive lineman can sink the whole ship. I mean, it really is a unit, and you are as strong as your weakest link there. And honestly, I think, you know, you talk about the Bucks game, Vita V is going to do that to most centers in the league. Good, bad, he's going to dominate. And you mentioned Matt Hennessy. I think he would have dominated Hennessy too. But I think Hennessy was clearly a better player. And talk about two guys who play the same position who could not be more different from each yeah. other. Like, Cushenberry's all length and strength, and Tennessee is just mobile and a little light, but the one is feels like a consolation prize if that's the guy you're targeting. And I think addressing with minors, I think that's kind of a reflection of that. Yep. And that's I, – I agree with you that it might not end up turning into minors starting right away. It wouldn't surprise me just based on the fact that Cushenberry, again, clearly they didn't believe in him. And I know that the Broncos PR came out and was like, oh, well, Miners might be a guard. Miners might be a center. And then after the draft, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, he's a center. We're looking at him as a center. It's like, no crap. Like, that's what everybody thought he was. He played left guard at Wisconsin Whitewater, but he moved to center after. So, or he moved to center for the Senior Bowl. That's probably what he's going to be. Um, and the Broncos are pretty loaded at guard, so I don't think that that's what they're looking at him for. And I don't think they drafted him to play guard. They have a lot of guards. Uh, the other pick I really like, though, is, and again, I touched on this a little bit, Baron Browning. I started to go back over his tape before Jawan James got hurt. And I I still ha I have concerns. Um, on Twitter, on Twitter, it's easy to say I love a guy. It's harder to go into nuance about it. I do think Browning does have some... He needs to speed up his process a little bit. I think Fangio will be able to do that by streamlining things a little bit more. Um, he did this with Alexander Johnson, so I do have faith that this will happen. But you look at the tools that Browning brings to the table. He's one of the most athletic linebacker prospects to come out ever. Like d Dating back to when Kent Lee Platt started doing relative athletic score, Baron Browning's in the top, Like I want to say he's in the top 20. I think he. I think he's like he's 9.98 or something like that. He's an insane athlete. Um, Beyond that, he brings you a lot of the stuff that you would have wanted with Micah Parsons. He can rush the passer, he can drop into space, he can run, and he can he can play as a force player on the edge pretty decently. 
Um, again, I, I don't know necessarily if the Broncos are going to try and move him to edge. I don't think that that's really the way to go just because I think he's too good in coverage to, to use as just an edge rusher. But the way Fangio uses his edge, ru- edge rushers in coverage might be part of that as well. Yeah, I think, I think Browning is a good player. And you mentioned his athleticism. It shows up on tape for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. You're, you really like that dimension he brings, especially when you're running out a guy like Josie Jewell, who I like but is not the most athletic linebacker. His ceiling is somewhat limited there. Mm-hmm. So you feel like there's a pathway for him to be a starter sooner rather than later if he can put it all together, which I think he's closer to than not. Mm-hmm. Same. Uh, and there were some big-time fans of Browning in the draft process. Like, I know the Draft Network had him as a top 15, top 20 player on their consensus big board. So, obviously, a lot of people over there, and they do great work at the Draft Network. They do. They thought really highly of him. Um, I didn't think that highly of him. I thought he was—he kind of went in the area I expected him to, kind of a late second, third round pick. But you see the tools, and you think you can really make something out of this guy, especially with a coach like Vic Fangio who is such a good defensive mind and he has maximized linebackers wherever he's been. You know, you talk about Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman. This is the situation you want a toolsy linebacker to go to where you think he can reach his ceiling. It's almost like the opposite of the Mike Munchak thing is that when you have a coach who specializes in a position like this, it makes sense to give him guys he can coach up and the Broncos finally did it. Um, it's been a couple years and the Broncos haven't taken like an athletic linebacker like this. They took Justin Hall and then they got rid of him. Um, so I, I like this pick a lot. And I think that maybe not this year. I do think he's going to play early just because the Broncos don't really have a lot in front of him. I'm not trying to hate on Josie Jewell, but he's at best. He's a, an adequate starter, probably better off as your backup. Um, and, and it's just the athletic limitations are noticeable. He doesn't really offer as much as a pass rusher. He's a guy um, in a lot of ways. And I think Baron Browning, if you can get him on the field and kind of get it in a situation where he's not overthinking, I think he can make an impact really, really quickly. I do worry about him against teams that run a lot of misdirection because I do think that that could be a problem. Just because if he has to play a lot of situations where he's doing if-then, that's going to be a problem. But I think if you have a process where it's like, go here, do this, go here, do this, I think he's going to be great. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to hate on him. That's like legitimately, I think, what what the best road forward for him is. Um, and then, again, I hated on the Sertan and the Javante Williams picks just because of the alternatives that were available. But the thing is, I love both those players. Um, I think Patrick Sertan was the best cornerback in this class. I know J.C. Horn went ahead of him. I don't care. Patrick Sertan's a better player than him, especially for the Broncos. Um, I think he's going to give you a corner who can play in man. I think he's going to be able to shut down guys on the line of scrimmage. I think very fast pros- or very fast receivers might be a little bit tricky if he's playing it off, um, which could be a problem against like Tyreek Hill, stuff like that. But Tyreek Hill is going to be a problem for everybody. Um, and then Javante Williams, it wouldn't surprise me if Melvin Gordon misses time for any reason. I don't think Javante Williams is giving him his job back. Yeah, in a vacuum, those are two really good players that the Broncos got. I I agree, Sertan was my cornerback one. I think the only one who challenged him was Caleb Farley, who had the back yeah. concerns. So even the cornerback who went ahead of him in J.C. Horn, I don't think he was even in the conversation for best corner. Yeah, I mean, and that- There were guys in the second round who I liked better with Asante Samuel Jr., who you're going to become very familiar with as you went to the Chargers. But he was one of my favorite corners in the class. And I think he's kind of in that same tier. But definitely a good pick in a vacuum. And I don't even mind, well, I agree with your points in terms of taking Justin Fields, who I think would have been an immediate upgrade and a long-term franchise quarterback, or trading back could have maximized more value, but you wouldn't have missed your guy. Yep. So I don't even mind taking him at nine when you disregard the fact that you could have had Justin Fields. Yep. So in a, in a vacuum... This was a really good draft for Denver. Their first four picks in Browning, Miners, Williams, and Sertan, I think are all going to be really good players for them. And I think they're going to help them get to the playoffs. But comparing them to kind of other scenarios that could have played out, a little underwhelming. And and I think that's one reason why you're seeing draft grades are giving the Broncos high marks, but some people in Broncos country are pretty upset about it. 
because if you're if you kind of play the draft as just the picks we made is a great draft. If you play out the draft as here are the guys we took and here's the opportunity cost, it starts to bring up questions. Um, but that said, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, and I know we, I just did. Um, the draft happened overall, though, and I, I I think a lot of teams got better. And again, that's probably what the draft is about. Um, but as you mentioned with the Sante Samuel going to the Chargers, like that's a home run pick for them. And honestly, the Chargers had a great draft, and they're a team that needed a great draft because they had a lot of needs. Um, but the fact that they got Slater and Samuel in their first two picks, like this is a team that was trying to start Trey Pipkins at left tackle to protect Justin Herbert. Now they have a real tackle and Asante Samuel fits into the chargers defense, much like he fits into the Broncos defense. It's a hand in glove fit and he's going to be a star. Yeah. I think they had two home run picks. Like you talk about the best first and second round pick draft chargers are in that conversation yeah immediate starter at left tackle we think is going to do a really good job there and immediate starter at corner which were probably their two biggest needs yep and we talked about this a few weeks ago when we kind of did team projections and power rankings and you were high on the chargers i wasn't yep because they didn't have anyone on the offensive line and they didn't have any real corners to speak of now they do and that really changes my perception of their season outlook because they got two really good ones and they prioritize two of the most important positions on the field when they already have a quarterback, which I think is important. So Justin Herbert now has somebody he can count on to protect his blind side. And honestly, that was like one of my biggest, like not concerns. I was kind of hoping this was going to happen, but Justin Herbert was really, really good under pressure last year. That doesn't tend to happen year to year. That tends to be like a thing that happens. And then the next year, all of a sudden pressure, he sucks. Like most quarterbacks historically, I'm not saying Herbert himself, but so from a Broncos perspective, the hope was kind of that they didn't do enough to fix the offensive line. And then Herbert kind of sucked in pr- under pressure this year. It doesn't look like that's going to be the case now because they did what they had to do to give him help up front. Because not only Slater, but they ended up getting games later in the draft. And again, he's a, he's like a who kind of guy. Like most people don't know who he is, but he's another player that Brandon Thorne was really high on. Probably gives them an option at right tackle if Brian Balaga can't play. Again, maybe not this year, but down the road. Like this is one of those things. The Chargers are making are laying down the pieces to be a long term pain in the ass in the AFC West, and that's a bummer for the Broncos. And really, if they only hit on one of these positions, the Denver would be okay still this year. I think, as in my mind, the lock to finish second. It's like okay, you fix the offensive line, but your secondary is still really bad. Or oh, you got that great corner, but your quarterback's getting killed. Either way, I think your ceiling is third in the division. But fixing both of them with two guys who I thought were first-round players, that's a problem. That's not, especially when you have a question at quarterback yourself, you don't want that lockdown first-round talent cornerback going to a division rival, especially when they just address their biggest need in protecting their franchise quarterback. Well, and Asante Samuel is really, really good at playing the eyes of uh, quarterbacks too. And so against somebody like Locke, that's definitely scary. What did you think of the Bucks draft? Um, I was happy mostly with the Bucks draft. Uh, I really liked Joe Tryon in the first round. He was my final mock projection for the Bucks. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. He was someone who I thought would be on their radar because, like I said earlier, the biggest need they had was pass rusher. Yeah. JPP is entering the last year of his deal. He's in his early mid-ish thirties, going into thirty-three. And they needed someone to replace him. And Tryon is a rare athlete. Mm-hmm. 6'5", 260, explosive off the snap, converts speed to power. He has a really good inside move. He can really be disruptive. And he hasn't reached his ceiling at all yet. Mm-hmm. He is so raw in terms of his pass rush plan and developing his moves that he's only going to get better. I mean, even if he's not great, if he doesn't develop... He's still a great athlete who can bully your offensive tackle. He can do stunts inside because he's so agile. He can drop into coverage, and he looks like a 240-pound linebacker, a 230-pound linebacker. He's smooth. So I think he's going to be a really good player, especially with this kind of year to develop behind Jason Pierre-Paul, who I think is a comparable prospect as a guy who was really athletic coming out of college. 
So I really like Joe Tryon. Day two, I did not like. No? No, no, not at all. I am very low on Kyle Trask, who they used yeah. their second round draft pick on. Honestly, I could see him being their fourth string quarterback. I can see him being behind Ryan Griffin, who's already under contract. And immediately after the draft, they're talking about re-signing Blaine Gabbert. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. And I don't see him beating those guys out because I think they're better players. I think Trask's ceiling is limited, so I don't know if he'll ever be a better player than a Blaine Gabbert, which is not ideal when you're talking about investing a second-round pick. Well, and that's that's one of the reasons why I always hate on second round court. Like, I don't like the idea of taking a second or third round quarterback because realistically, what ends up happening with most of these guys is they'll get one opportunity during their career to prove that they could actually might be something. And then if they don't grasp that at one opportunity, they kind of get relegated to being backups and being a guy you try and replace. And again, Kyle Trask might very well end up being a decent backup. Like, I'm not trying to hate on him because I think his short accuracy and I think the fact that he can read the field pre-snap is good enough that he could be could be a decent backup option. Like if, if let's say Tom Brady got hurt next year and he got forced into the action, I think he could be a short-term answer. But I don't think he's going to be a long-term starter either. And taking him that highly means that you guys could have had another player. It's, again, it goes back to what we just said with the Broncos. It's the opportunity cost. Absolutely. And there were players I really wanted on the board. And even other quarterbacks, like if this was Kellen Mond we were talking about, I'd have a different tone because yeah. I can see the upside there. This is a guy who could eventually start sitting behind Tom Brady, developing his mental aspect, as opposed to a guy who I think does have a high football IQ, but does not have the tools to really play in this league. So yeah, he can be a good backup. He can mentor a young quarterback someday. He can be really, you know, a coach on the sideline but I never want him in the game. Yep. And that's well, not what you want with a second round pick. Well, and one of the arguments for him, and I've seen this a few different places is the fact that Kyle Trask was so inexperienced before, like he hasn't played that much because in high school he wasn't playing. Um, and so like, and again, I'm not making this argument because I believe it, but I'm, I've heard this is the, the hope is that because he hasn't played much now that he's gone to Bruce Arians, there's not as many bad habits to correct. And then Bruce Arians will be able to coach him up how he wants him. And then he'll be, he'll be better. I don't think we've seen that since like Matt Castle. So I, like, I don't know necessarily if that's like a, a realistic hope, but I have seen that. So if you're a Bucks fan, kind of like really down on the Kyle Trask, maybe that, maybe that helps. Not me. Yeah. Because I know, you know too much. Well, if Trask were a different prospect, and, you know, he had that same, oh, he was a backup to Derek King in high school. He never really had his chance to get a lot of the starting reps until recently. And his film was he's really athletic, he's really toolsy, but he makes a lot of, you know, basic mental mistakes. He has some mechanical issues. That would make a lot of sense. He hasn't had a lot of reps. He needs more coaching. We can Davis Mills. Him. Yeah, yeah, a guy like Davis Mills or Kellen Mond. But that's not who Trask is. Trask is actually pretty smart on the field. He, like you said, I think he can read a defense. He goes through progressions fairly well. So the mental aspect, I think, is there for in terms of rookie quarterbacks. Yep. So what is Bruce Arian going to develop? Because he's already seemed smart. He just he, he can't throw the ball. Well, that that that's my biggest concern about him is I don't understand necessarily how he fits your guys' offense because Bruce Arians wants to chuck it downfield. And Trask isn't necessarily great at that. He's better at short accuracy. And granted, like when he was surrounded by Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony, he was able to get some shot plays off. But and again, you guys have receivers, but it's just in the NFL, you have to have deep accuracy. And that's not really a strength of his game. And that's not even the biggest part I'm concerned about, which, like you said, it's not a strength. But, you know, I think he can hit those 20, 30 yard shots to Mike Evans because Mike Evans is huge and he can separate. And I think Kyle Trask can make that throw. Okay, you know, not with as much consistency as I was like, but he can make that throw. He made that throw to Kyle Pitts. Hmm. I'm concerned more about the velocity. Like when yeah. you have to squeeze it into those tight, tight windows, I don't think he can utilize a guy like Chris Godwin in the slot, a guy who lives over the middle, a guy you have to fit it between a linebacker and a safety to get it to him. Kyle Trask is lobbing up a softball there, and he's just praying the linebacker who's going to be bigger, faster, stronger can't get to it, and I don't see that happening. One pick for you guys that I really, really like, though, and I, you, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts because I don't know if you agree with me. I liked Robert Hainsey a lot. 
Um, I don't know necessarily that Robert Hainsey is going to ever be like a starter you're excited about, but I do think Robert Hainsey, he played right tackle for a long time at Notre Dame. Notre Dame coached up. He's coached up really well. Beyond that, he showed at the senior bowl that he can play inside. He can play outside and that's valuable, especially for, again, going back to our last episode together, you and I talked about the bucks and how healthy they were last year. And odds are they're not going to be as healthy this year. And Hainsey's one of those guys that may be able to step in in a pinch and play any spot on the offensive line. I like that. I was not super high on the pick, again, just because of who else I thought they could have taken on that spot. That's fair. Like, a guy like Quinn and Miners, who you guys drafted, that's who I really wanted there as a guy who I thought could play center or guard for this team and could replace a guy like Alex Kappa if he leaves in free agency next year or a guy like Ryan Jensen if he leaves in free agency Hainsey, I didn't love his film. I thought he was okay. I like that he's versatile. So initially, I was not high on the pick. Kind of learning more about Robert Hainsey, the person, mm-hmm. in terms of his, you know, he was a multi-year captain, and he has that kind of demeanor you want to see in an offensive lineman in terms of personality, kind of like that mean, gruff kind of, you know, this is a guy who wants to put you in a dirt. So I've come to like him a little bit more. I think he can be an average starter down the road. I don't think he's there yet, but I think he can be a starter in time. I see him more as kind of a good backup at this point. Yeah, that's kind well, of what I think, too. a good backup at this point, but I think he can be a good backup. But I think he needs development. Yeah. And we'll see. I'm, I'm warming up to the pick the more I get to know about him as a – person off the field in terms of his intangibles, but I wanted other guys there. And if they'd taken a guy like Jalen Mayfield in the second round who can do those same things and is a better player, that's a guy I wanted there instead of Kyle Trask. But we didn't get him because we took Trask and then we had to take a a lesser player at the position I thought we needed. And it's just kind of a domino effect of frustration. Well, yeah, I agree. And again, I I liked Hainsey. I like Hainsey as a backup. I think as a starter, he's a guy you're trying to replace every year. One pick I did like was the fourth round pick for the Bucks because they put a huge emphasis on special teams. They got a couple of guys who could be gunners and some you know, linebacker depth. But the guy I liked the most outside of Tryon in the whole draft was Jalen Darden in the fourth round. Oh, yeah? I like yeah, Darden, too. Yeah, explosive, explosive wide receiver out of North Texas. Super fast, deep threat, can play inside or outside at 5'7". He's small, but he's electric. He's going to be the day one kick returner, most likely. He, I think he can fight for a reasonable amount of reps, which is saying a lot with this wide receiver room, but I think he can challenge Scotty Miller in time for some playing time, be more explosive in space. Well, and one of the things I liked about Darden is if you were going to go after a small, speedy slot type receiver, I like Darden's value where he went because I expected him to be like a day, like, like late third day three guy. And I thought that he answered a lot of the same things that you could get from like a Rondell Moore who went in the second round, but came with a million injury questions. And, and again, I'm not trying to hate on Moore, but I wouldn't take him that early knowing that he hasn't been able to play a full season since a freshman year. Like that's scary for me. Like that's a really rich investment. So I think Darden made a lot of sense for you guys. And again, I like the overall process of the idea of, I like that the Bucks invest in quarterback. I don't necessarily like the prospect, but I like that they did that. I think that that was smart. I like that you guys are prioritizing the offensive line, the defensive line, and the receiving groups. Like, in terms of process, I think you guys, like, it was a good one. You guys didn't take a kicker in the second round. Yes, that oh, that, that pick still hurts me, man. Sorry. Especially, again, we talk about opportunity cost. Yeah, I was screaming in that draft for them to trade up for Kevin Byard. And then they traded up. I'm like, yes, it's happening. Kevin Byard is going to be an all-star pro. He's going to be so good. He's just such a good prospect. First round talent in the back of the second. And then they took Roberto Aguayo and my life sucked. They took a kicker. Um, Are there any other teams that you really liked from this draft? I thought the Chiefs kind of had a meh draft. I like I love that. I think Cree Humphrey is good. I think Nick Bolton made sense because their linebacker group needs a lot of help. But I'm very glad they took Nick Bolton instead of 
a bunch of other guys. Because I think Nick Bolton's going to be limited in the pros because of his height and his speed. Um, I think he's going to be, his ceiling is a better version of Josie Jewell. See, I like Nick Bolton. I actually have the Chiefs down as one of the drafts I like the most. Oh, yeah? I like Trey yeah. Smith a lot. The Trey Smith I thought was a good value for you got him. Mm-hmm. Um, when you consider that they flipped their first round pick for Orlando Brown, that is awesome. And then they got a second round pick in return, and they got Creed Humphrey, who I think is going to be a really good player for them. And Nick Bolden, who is one of my favorite players to watch on film, I think he's kind of a lesser version of Levante David. Okay. He doesn't bring that coverage ability. But in terms of sideline to sideline tackling, dude's going to be a, a monster against the run. I mean, he is fast. He is physical. He is undersized a little bit, but he does not care. He's going to come up and hit the biggest dude on your team, and he's going to knock back. And he has special instincts. Like, that's that's how he won at the level he did uh, at Missouri is that I do think that, and that's going to come with him into the pros. I think he's going to be able to see the field and anticipate in a way that he'll be able to play around the fact that he's undersized. For me, the reason I like to pick, again, like selfishly, I like to pick because I did, I thought they could have done better. I just think the fact that he's not going to add enough in coverage, um, that's the reason I was down on him because I think in today's NFL, if you can't win in coverage with a linebacker, you shouldn't be taking that guy early because basically every down is a passing down now. Which I agree with, but at the same time, I think he might be their best linebacker. Yeah, unless Willie Gay comes on, yeah. And I was I like his athleticism. I think he has a super high ceiling, but I think apples to apples as a prospect, I think Bolton is better. I think yeah, definitely Bol- Bolton. You know what you're getting a little bit more. Willie Gay was all projection, and I like Will. I like I was really bummed when the Chiefs got Willie Gay last year because I, it's it's the same thing for me. Like when they took McCole Hardman. I see the players as their ceiling when they when they're drafted by the rivals because I'm afraid of them. And it's like <laughs> McCole Hardman is like another Tyreek Hill if he hits. Willie Gay if he hits is an All Pro linebacker. Granted, neither one of them are there yet, so like that part's okay. Nick Bolton, I don't think the ceiling's anywhere near what those guys' ceilings are, but I think he comes in immediately and probably can help them. And so like it makes sense for a team that's actually in the Super Bowl every year to have a player like that. Mm-hmm. Especially when you think of the teams in the division. Yeah, Denver. Obviously, committed to running the ball. Melvin Gordon, Javonta Williams. They want to run. Mm-hmm. Oakland, Josh Jacobs. This is a running team. Bolton's going to be a problem for you guys because he's going to be able to shoot those gaps. He's going to be able to beat a guard to the spot in space. He's going to be able to make tackles in the backfield. So I think just in terms of looking at your division and what do your rivals do well, what is your path to the playoffs, this is a really good pick for their defense. What did you think of the Raiders draft? Actually, I didn't mind the Raiders draft after the first round. Oh, I yeah? I like the first yeah. round pick more than people were giving him. Like, I don't think Alex Leatherwood is that bad. I Like, I get that. Like, he's going to probably be an issue against speed rushers from with. Like, he has problems with Twitch. But I think he's a good run blocker. And I think, like, for the Raiders scheme, like, they had Trent Brown last year. If they can coach him up. Like, I think he could be a guy. I, I just, I think they did reach for sure, but I don't think he's the worst player in the world. I don't think he's the worst player in the world, but I, you said, you know, you look at ceilings for players yeah. when they're drafted. I don't see him as a super high ceiling kind Mm-mm. of guy. Mm-mm. I don't even know if I project him as a tackle long-term, even though he has the length. I just don't think he has the ability to stay on the outside necessarily. It's kind of one of those... He could, but I don't know if he'd ever be great there. Yeah. And I don't think he'll ever be a great guard because he's so tall, he's so long, and he's going to have trouble with leverage. I don't think he has a super high ceiling at either position, but I think he at a reasonable level. So I wouldn't have minded that pick in round two. You know, guy with inside-outside versatility can be a solid player if he hits a ceiling. But that's not what you want to spend a first-round pick on. Yeah. I thought they got a better player with Trayvon Morig. Same. I think, one, I think he's going to be a glue guy for their secondary. A guy who's good at everything. They've invested a lot in their secondary. And I think he's going to really help galvanize it and bring it all together. And two, I just think he's more talented. I think he's better at his job than a guy like Leatherwood. I think Trayvon Morig's ceiling is something similar to Justin Simmons, which is one of the reasons why I liked him so much. Um, he's one of those guys who's good. He's good at everything. He's not necessarily really flashy, but mm-hmm. he doesn't have a clear weakness. And, and in the right scenario, he turns into a very good starter that you can count on. 
Yeah, and I see kind of some shades of Antoine Winfield Jr., who the Bucks drafted last year. Mm -hmm. Good at everything. I feel comfortable with him over the top. He's going to come up and make tackles. He can play in the nickel. He's just a really quality player with no glaring weakness. Yep. Yeah, he was one of those players I was really bummed the Raiders got him because I think that kind of corrects their issue with Jonathan Abrams too because Abrams can't really play deep. Morig's good at it. Morig's a, a good free safety. And then they also got Divine Diablo in the third round, yep. who, based on name alone, is a first-round player. <laughs> uh, but he brings that physicality that Abrams brings. And so you have some depth there if Abrams goes down because he's such a violent hitter. A lot of the times that kind of reflects back on himself. And you have some injury questions there. So you get another secondary player who's going to come up and hurt you. Mm -hmm. uh, last thing, just before I let you go. Do you think the Broncos are going to trade for Aaron Rodgers? I don't think so. Oh, I think it makes perfect sense for them to. I mean, I like I've said before, I think this is a playoff roster with a weakness at quarterback. So getting a guy like that, I think immediately puts them as a top three team in the AFC, yep. right there with the Chiefs and the Browns. Yep. But one, I don't think the Broncos have the draft capital that other teams have to trade for him like a team like New York, who has two first-round picks next year. I think they have more ammo to go get a guy like that, who's in a similar position, good roster overall, weak at quarterback. Yep. And I just I don't think Green Bay is going to trade him. I think they're going to work it out. I think they'll extend him. They'll, you know, it's one of those things where you have a superstar player. Yep. Give him whatever he wants. You want an 18-year contract? You got it. <laughs> well, and I think we're we're – it comes down to it. There's so much we don't know about this situation uh, because like Rogers hasn't like really spoken about it. It comes down to me of what is his real beef. And I would assume that a big part of it's the Jordan love pick. And if that's the situation, that's why like if it's Jordan love, the Packers are going to have a decision. Do we want to essentially do the Jimmy Garoppolo, Tom Brady thing again, where we extend Aaron Rodgers because we know he's a star right now trade Jordan Love for whatever we can get and then kind of roll with Aaron Rodgers until we have another option. Or are they going to like, if it's something else entirely, then I don't know. Cause like I've seen the reports that uh, Rodgers wants the GM fired. I don't think that's going to happen. Like if that's actually what the issue is, I think Rodgers is gone. Um, and, but no, I do agree with you. I, I do worry about this because the Broncos, because again, because they didn't trade back to collect draft capital they don't have as much as many assets as teams like the giants or the dolphins or even the lions. And again, I know the Packers aren't going to trade them to the lions, but from a Broncos perspective, you're kind of praying that the Packers aren't willing to trade him to the NFC if they're going to trade him. Because at that, in that situation, then the Broncos stand out as a team that might have a real chance just because the only other team that might really beat them out is Miami. Well, Miami, and then maybe the jets, but the jets just took a quarterback. Miami supposedly believes in Tua Tagovailoa, so I don't think that they're going to offer the moon for Aaron Rodgers, but we'll see. But Rodgers said he wants to play for the Broncos, so like I'm praying that happens until it doesn't. I, it's a logical destination. The fit makes perfect sense. I think this is a team who has a winning window, particularly if they get Aaron Rodgers. I like the coach. I like the roster. If I'm Denver, I'm pushing to make it happen. Same. Give up. Give up the draft capital necessary for a shot at a Super Bowl. And two first-round picks feels like a lot for a guy who's 38. So I'm hesitant to say that. But at the end of the day, if you can give yourself a window, a legitimate shot at a Super Bowl, you have to take it. Yep. And that's where I'm at. Is If Aaron Rodgers costs multiple first-round picks, at the end of the day, if, if it gets you a Super Bowl, I think it's worth it. I also have to say that if the Broncos – went into the draft and I've heard this. So again, like I don't like, I believe the person who told me this, I don't know if the person who told them that is feeding them bullshit, but I have heard that the Broncos almost acquired Aaron Rodgers during the draft. Like, right. You know, when all the hoopla was going on, my understanding is the Broncos had an offer in place and the Packers backed out. Um, granted, we don't know if that'll come back together or not, or if the Broncos knew that they had a deal and they're just waiting for June. Um, I will say that if the Broncos, and this will kind of be my closing point, if the Broncos went into this last draft knowing that they were going to get Aaron Rodgers, that draft looks a lot better in terms of passing on Justin Fields. I still have a problem with passing on tackles. 
So, and Joe, I don't know who your who your source is there and who you've talked to, but I can tell you that I have heard the same thing from another person who obviously I talk to you a lot about Broncos, but I have talked to another person who is you know fairly can you know somewhat connected within Broncos world, Broncos. And they said that they had heard from two people inside the organization that there was a trade in place. And that's something so, similar to what again, I, heard. I heard secondhand. I don't know if there's any truth to it. I believe this person. There's someone I trust. But how much do they trust the person that they're talking to? Yep. So it's one of those things. There's a lot of smoke coming out of Denver. So let us hope that Aaron Rodgers comes to the Broncos and then the Bucks and the Broncos play in the Super Bowl next year. That'd be fun. That would be fun.